Would you open your Bibles, uh, turn in your phones to Exodus 4, um, 18 through 23. Exodus 4, 18. I say 18 through 23, but it's actually, we're going to go a little shorter today. We're going to go 18 through, um, through 26, actually, a little longer. While you're turning there, if you haven't been with us over these last few weeks especially, I'm so grateful for my brother Bill for leading us into God's Word last week. But we've seen, um, we've seen this pilgrimage happening in Moses' life. God has called him. He has set him apart for his, um, for his glory, as we just sang. Um, but, but initially, you'll remember that Moses had several questions. He he came back to God and said, Who am I, God, that you would choose to use me? And, and our hearts resonated with him. And he came back and said, Well, who are you, God? Who shall I say is sending me, right? And then, and then the questions got more pointed. What if they don't believe me? What if they don't listen to me? What if they say, God didn't appear to you? These are real questions, aren't they? Then last week, we kind of crossed the line. Now, all of a sudden, he wasn't asking questions. Anymore, now he's telling God the way things are. I'm not eloquent. God, I'm slow of speech and tongue. Anybody relate? I'm in that category, right? And finally, he says, send somebody else, right? Send someone else. We pick up that story right here today at, at verse 18. God has said, I will be your mouth. I will teach you both, Aaron and you, what to do and say. And you shall be as God to him, and you shall do these signs that I've given you. So Moses goes back, verse 18, to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses and Midian, Go back to Egypt. For all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey. Some of you are having a visual right there. New Testament visual. Had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. And if you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. And then in one of the most challenging, enigmatic passages In all of Scripture, the word continues. At a lodging place along the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah, Moses' wife, took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So God let him alone. It was then that she said, a bridegroom of blood, because of the circumcision. This is the very word of God. 
Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 15. It's on page 984 in your pew Bible. There we go. This looks right. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to the human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, And not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. By putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism. In which you were also raised with him through faith. In the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them with him. This is the very word of God. Thanks be to God. Children, stay with us just one more moment. Would you open your bulletins, turn to the inside cover at the bottom. You'll see our memory verse for today. You're welcome to take that if you need it. Philippians 3.3. Would you read that with me? Philippians 3.3 in the English Standard Version, it's at the bottom of the left-hand side of your bulletin. For we are the circumcision who worship God, excuse me, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Would you try that one more time with me since I messed you up? For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. And let's read the address together if we could. Philippians 3, 3, the very word of God. Thanks be to God. Children, if you would like, you are released to join your friends for a special time of worship. If you're visiting with us, your children are welcome to go or they're welcome to stay with you, whichever you would prefer. While they go, let's pray for them, can we? God, thank you again for these precious children. Thank you that they are yours. And God, our great desire is that they would grow up in a world without fear. That they could find a a greater foundation for their lives than even many of us experience, God. They could put their trust in you and your sovereign plan for their lives. Oh God, bless them richly, would you, as they open your word and speak to us, God. As we open your word, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. 
Well, if you'd like, you're welcome to follow along with me. Um, it's a little intimidating to see all those notes in the bulletin, but if it's helpful, that's awesome. If it's not, you are welcome to lay those aside. But um, we, the question that I really want to address with you, as I mentioned a few moments ago, is this. Will we embrace the call of God on our lives, right? Or will we simply be tossed by every wave of culture, every wind that blows through, um, will we will we react rather than embrace God's perfect will for our lives? We've seen here that Moses was called. He was called to be God's instrument in setting God's people free. But if you haven't been with us, we discovered together that that when he failed forty years before, he unilaterally decided to flee Egypt, and he spent the next forty years on the backside of the desert, far from God's purpose for his life. Now, at age 80, his self-imposed exile is over. And, and it appears that he's finally embracing the call of God on his life. I think the key word in these initial verses is this word return. Sometimes it's translated return in this passage. Sometimes it's the same word is translated go back. But Moses was going back because God had ordered him to return. Yeah, he had a litany of excuses why he shouldn't do it, but God overcame every single one of them until our passage today. And and as you saw earlier today, he faced two final obstacles. One was, would his father-in-law give him his blessing? I stumbled as I was as I was preparing for this. I prayed over it, and I think I was... I was projecting onto Moses some of my own, my own fears. I've shared with you that I'm a people pleaser and, and I want everybody to like me. I want everybody to feel good about me. Was Moses actually running from God by, by submitting to his father-in-law? Or was it, was it um, that, that out of respect for this this man, he wanted to not do what God was telling him until he told him what he was up to. I don't know for sure. All I do know is that when, um, when Jordan came to me, upstairs here actually, um, seven months before he asked Chelsea to marry him, I, I was blessed that he sought me, that he sought my perspective on what he was about to do. I have to tell you, I, about five months later, I was saying, well, you know, right? And six months later, I'm starting to tap my foot. And as we got to the end of that summer, I'm thinking, are you ever going to ask her to marry you? you know? and, uh, and, but I was so blessed that he honored me. So I don't want to project onto Moses uh, too much here. All I do know is that regardless of what he intended when he went to his father-in-law for blessing, God amazed him. And God used Jethro, or Ruel, the two names that we've come to know this man, and, and said, yes, go in peace, right? And realize that his daughter is going with him, right? Realize that his grandchildren are going with him. But, but Moses received this blessing from his father-in-law, and, and one obstacle was, was removed, there's several issues in there, and I invite you to explore them, uh, because it didn't seem like Moses was completely telling the truth, right? Um, Moses said, let me go back and see if my people are still alive. 
Well, God had already told them they were alive and that they were suffering and that God wanted to deliver them. I don't know what Moses was thinking when he said that, but all I do know is that the people of Scripture are just like you and me. They are human through and through. And even though God has appeared to him in this burning bush, uh, he still lives in fear. And, and uh, whether or not, uh, whatever motivated him to say that he wanted to see if they were alive, maybe he just simply forgot that God had told him. Um, in any case, uh, Jethro blessed him, said, peace be with you, and sent him, affirmed for him God's call on his life. So then what, re- what remains? I want to suggest to you that maybe we've tapped into the major concern for him and very possibly the major concern for you and me. I'm so grateful for your risking putting your fears in the fire and trusting them to the holiness of God. But, but God seems to nail for Moses this last bastion uh, of his defense, right? Uh, Moses says, the, or God says to Moses that all of those who would kill him were dead. And Moses, for the first time, can go back where people sought his life without fear. If I was Moses, I'd, be, I'd fear people who wanted to take my life. If I was Moses, I would be afraid of, of leaving the place where for 40 years I've been cared for and nurtured. Will I ever see Jethro again? Will I see my family again? So Moses takes two things with him. He takes his family, right? And I stumbled again as I was studying this because God hadn't specifically said, take your family. And when we read ahead, we'll find out that somewhere between Exodus 4 and Exodus 18, Moses sent them back to be with Jethro. But what I love about this was that Moses at least was willing to say, if I never come back, if God doesn't allow me to come back to this place, I want to be with my family. And he took his family with him. His family was a part of the call of God in his mind, in his life. I'm going to press pause for just a second. By the way, we have lots of missionaries who are called all over the world, right? Many of them, at least when they left, were single, right? And so they didn't have this issue. But, but many of them came to the understanding of the call of God with the one with whom they had become one. I didn't say that well. But with their spouse. They came to the understanding of the call of God on their life with their spouse. And I just affirm that. that we'll see in a few moments that, that the call of God includes those people who you have united with, right? Who you have entered into covenant with. So Moses takes his family. It's, it's going to cause some problems here in just a moment. But whether or not um, he was believing God, God had said, you're going to come back to this mountain. In other words, you're going to come back in proximity of your family again. But I understand completely Moses did not want to move without his family with him. But in this small little phrase, there's another thing that he took with him. He took his staff with him as well, right? Except that it was no longer his staff, was it? 
Remember what God had done with that staff, right? This piece of wood had become uh, the power of God. It had become a symbol of divine authority. Moses was going to fulfill his calling by God's power and by God's power alone. Let me just press pause for a second. If you're starting to capture God's call on your life, know this for certain. You're going to accomplish that call by God's power and by God's power alone. He didn't call you because of your qualifications. He didn't call you because of your good looks. He didn't call you because of anything about you. He called you for His glory and for your good. And so with this staff... Moses would perform miraculous signs to convince both the Israelites and the Egyptian that God, I'm going to use a, a, a big word that was sovereign, God was Lord over their circumstances. And yes, this staff would become a snake. It would, it would swallow up all the gods of Egypt. God's staff would bring disease and death upon the Egyptians. It would part the waves of the Red Sea. God's staff would draw life-giving water out of a rock. Out of a rock. And it's tempting in our culture to think of the staff of God as, I don't know, Harry Potter's wand or something, right? And even, even to desire one for ourselves, right? God, if you just gave me a staff like that, I could, I, I'd follow, I'd fulfill your call in my life. Well, what the staff represents is available to us, right? The staff was the visible sign of God's saving power. And now we have something much greater, right? We have God's saving power coming to us, not through this stick of wood, right? But through the cross. Through the cross of Jesus Christ. The place to find power is not in some supernatural wonder, right? But in the message of the cross of Christ. In the message that Christ was crucified for sinners like us. The cross is God's sign. It's a sign of God's love, right? That God loves us enough to die for us. It's a sign of His mercy that, that our sins are forgiven, right? The Apostle Paul noted in 1 Corinthians 1 that people demand miraculous signs, right? We preach Christ crucified, right? Christ is the power of God and that power is represented in the cross. So, I think it's fair to say that through the cross of Christ, God has accomplished the greatest exodus of all, right? I mean, this is pretty huge. Two million people from, from slavery to freedom, right? This is, this is huge. But in the cross of Christ, God leads broken people out of bondage to sin. Now we're not talking about two million. Now we're talking about even existing right this moment over two billion. Two billion people out of bondage to sin and into a relationship with Him. That power is available to you and to everyone who lays hold of Jesus Christ. So two opportunities lay before us here today, right? 
to access the power of God through faith in Jesus Christ. That is a real opportunity for you, whether or not you are a follower of Jesus or not, right? Because I don't know about you, but but I leak, right? I learn truths and I experience the power of God and then somehow over time I forget. And somehow over time I, I begin to put less trust in the power of God. So today I can access the power of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Today you can access the power of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And many of you did that, took the first step a few moments ago by, by burning, right? It reminded me so much of Cortez, right? The, the story about when he came to the Americas, he burned the ships, right? So that they would not have any place else to go. You burned your fears. You cannot go back to them. You cannot go back to them. You've entrusted them to the holiness of God. So you have this amazing privilege today to access the power of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us right here for a second. God, thank you that that there's nothing that we face, God, that is greater than the power of God. There's, There's nothing we face that is greater than the love of God for His beloved. Oh, God, grant us a mustard seed of faith. Whether we've never come before to you, or God, whether we have many times and, and, and our, our, our faith has waned, God, grant us that mustard seed again to believe that in Christ crucified we have all the power we need to fulfill your call on our life. And God, though we can't see it, we trust. We believe that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And though we have not yet seen it, and even today in our midst, God, people are crying out for healings. They're crying out for deliverances. They're crying out for loved ones to come to know You. Even though we have not received it, we believe it. We believe it by faith. Thank You, God. Thank You for the power that is ours. Through faith in Christ. We believe, Jesus, that you are Lord. We believe that you died for our sins. We believe that you rose from the grave to break the power of sin over us. We believe that you're coming again in glory and power. Amen. Amen. Well, we have an opportunity to access that power today. But we also have the opportunity to employ the power of God that he has entrusted to us, right? To employ that power. These verses are going to go by fast, but but hear the weight behind them. See to it, from our Exodus passage, that you do all the miracles that I have put in your power. I said, well, that was Moses, right? I just made a federal case a moment ago for saying we are Moses. Right? We have the same call. We have the same power available to us. See to it. God says to us, and go out on that limb, that you do all the miracles that I have put in your power. Again, in John 14, 12, truly, truly, this is Jesus speaking, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Anyone believe in Jesus in the room? 
Would you say it out loud? Anyone believe in Jesus? Yeah. So, whoever believes in Jesus will also do the works that he does. Now, if it is right there, I think I'd be okay, but it doesn't. And greater works than these will he or she do because I'm going to the Father. Jesus is standing by the right hand of God the Father crying out for you that you who know Him will employ the power that is yours through Christ, through the cross. He's crying out to His Father that God would grant you everything you need to live out this powerful life of faith. How about now some of you are thinking snakes and all kinds of different stuff. Let me, um, I, I don't want to pull punches. Um, when you look at, at Jesus sending out the 12, when you look at him sending out the 72, he sent them out to preach the gospel, to heal the sick, right? To cast out, anybody uncomfortable yet? Cast out demons, right? He, he granted them power to do this. So I don't want to pull any of those punches, right? Um, though you have the power to do that. But at the same time, I want to meet you where you are and where I am and to say that you have amazing power available to you each and every moment of your life through prayer. Through prayer. You, you can accomplish much more through prayer than you could ever physically accomplish yourself, right? That's why I love you, congregation, because when, when the chips are down, you pray. You pray. I cannot tell you how many people have come up, even this morning, how is Jordan? How is he doing? Right? Um, when the chips are down, you realize that the greatest gift that he has given you is the power of prayer. And I want to invite you, if you're a little intimidated by the thought of preaching the gospel, if you're a little intimidated of healing the sick or casting out demons, start with prayer. And again, start by praying for people you know. People closest to you. We're going to expand that, I promise, over the next four months. We're going to expand our circles of prayer. But start with this amazing power that God has given you through prayer. Here it is again, John 14. Amazing, through John 14 through 16. Amazing passages. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son, Jesus says. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. I'm not making those words up. Your Lord and Savior is speaking them to you. John 15, 16, You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should last, right? So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, He may give to you. John 15, 16. And were that not enough, he says it in John 16, 22 to 24, I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice. And no one will take your joy from you. Isn't that awesome? In that day you will ask nothing of me. In that day, right? You will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask this day of my Father in my name, He will give to you. And here's the problem. I'm adding words to Jesus' Scripture. I shouldn't do that. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask. Pray. And you will receive. And, and is it up there? No, it's not. We didn't make it. Okay. Um, your joy will be made full. 
We've had a rapture back in the sound booth. Two deeper truths. Two deeper truths. He's going to keep going. Um, In some of the most challenging passages uh, in all of Scripture, two of them, boom, boom, right in a row, in the most challenging aspects of, of Scripture, God invites us to go deeper. He invites Moses and us with Moses. What are those truths? The sovereignty, sorry again for that, that big word, the sovereignty of God's will. Of all the people on earth, God says He chose Israel to be His people. And He goes even further. In that difficult passage, God says, I chose Israel to be my firstborn. Are you starting, are you starting to understand um, why God was so passionate about them? This is His firstborn. Right? This is His firstborn. How do you feel about your firstborn? Don't get lost in the firstborn son. That was part of their culture. How do you get, how do you feel about your firstborn? How do you feel about your children? Right? Doesn't it make sense that God would feel that way about his? And, and he says in Exodus 4, Israel is my firstborn. Therefore, what you do to my firstborn, God says to Pharaoh, I'm going to do to your firstborn. We've seen that for 415 years, Egypt began nice, but, but eventually persecuted God's firstborn. So, so, it's a hard word for us, but God is sovereign. He both created the world and He sustains it, and He controls every aspect of it, right? He chose Israel to be His people. Another time we'll explore that idea. But look what this, this is, this is hard. He chose also to harden Pharaoh's heart. He chose to harden Pharaoh's heart. That, again, is worthy of a whole session together. But understand this. God not only knew that Pharaoh refused to let his people go, but he actually ordained it. And I don't know how, how to make this simple for you. It is a paradox. It is, it is the paradox of divine sovereignty and human responsibility. That, that we could completely have free will, and at the same time, by the time when all is said and done, our free will ex- expresses exactly the sovereignty of God, what God desired to happen. I love, one of my favorite authors is, is uh, Philip Ryken, and, and, and I could just, his commentaries are massive, but I could just read them all day, and he put it this way. Can I read it for you? He said, this paradox is not a puzzle to be solved, but a mystery to be adored. Do you understand incarnation? Oh my goodness. Um, it's a mystery to be adored, right? Do you, do you understand the sovereignty of God and predestination? No. No, it's a mystery to be adored as human beings. Made in the image of God, we make a real choice to accept or reject God. It is a real choice. But even that choice we freely make is governed by God's sovereign and eternal will. So why would God harden Pharaoh's heart? 
Does he, doesn't he desire all men and women to be saved? That scripture is ringing in your head, right? A clue may come from the letter of, of John, Jesus, through John, to the church at Laodicea, a familiar passage in Revelation 3. Jesus says this to a church. I know your works. I know that you are neither cold nor hot. I would that you were either cold or hot, right? I'll take either one. But because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will, and I think the word is, spew you out of my mouth. Behold, he says a couple of verses later, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. I don't know. But maybe, just maybe, God is saying, get off the fence. Get off the fence. You identify as one who loves me and follows me, but you won't do what I call you to do. I would that you were either hot or cold, but you're neither. I can deal with cold people, God's saying, right? I can show them my glory. I, I, can, I can deal with it. What I can deal with is people who honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, right? So he's not pulling punches. And don't run and hide when you encounter the sovereignty of God. But ask yourself, what does that mean for me? Am I lukewarm? Am I the kind of person that God says, I'm going to harden your heart because you won't get off the fence? Instead, use it as a point of prayer to say, God, I want to be all yours. I want to completely surrender to you. So two deeper truths that are revealed here are the sovereignty of God's will. He chooses His own and He hardens and softens hearts as He desires. But also note here the importance of covenant obedience. What do you do with that weird passage? They're at a lodging place and God sought to kill Moses. Does that not knock your socks off? I mean, He spent all this energy, right? All this energy calling Moses, getting Moses to the point where Moses would respond to his call. And I don't, we don't know when this is here, but, but Moses responds and then God is standing there ready to kill him. What is this all about, right? Now I say him and, and that's exactly what the scripture says. We don't know who the him is. It could have been Moses. It could have been Gershom, his son, right? We don't know for sure, but everything in the passage kind of indicates that it is Moses. God has placed Moses under the sentence of death, right? And in this just amazingly crazy passage, I don't recommend you use this for a DBS with non-believers, right? In this amazing passage, Zipporah, his wife, takes a flint rock and circumcises her son and throws the foreskin at Moses' feet and, and declares, Moses, you are a bridegroom of blood. Don't be too quick to see that as, as a negative thought. In a sense, their, their, their marriage is finally being consummated. Why? Because Moses is finally doing what he didn't do, apparently, when God gave them Gershom. He didn't keep his covenant promise. Yeah. In the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, a covenant is this mutual agreement between two parties. It's much stronger than a contract, right? 
A contract, someone doesn't meet it, and we're done. A covenant, if someone doesn't meet it, both parties suffer. Or in this case, if there's multiple parties, they suffer. Now, now don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about, because many of you are in covenant relationships right now, right? Many of you are in the covenant of marriage. About half of our culture is married, right? They understand this. And, and you may think that if this doesn't work out, well, I can just break it like a contract. But anybody who's been through that knows that it's not that simple. There's massive suffering for all parties. God has made a covenant with humanity that he will be our God and we will be his people And if we break that covenant, we suffer. But because we broke that covenant, God himself suffered. Jesus went to the cross as a result of breaking that covenant. So what is happening here? Moses is being taught the importance of covenant obedience. And I want to suggest to you that Moses is actually going before us and going even before Jesus in this. He has the sentence of death and he's released from that sentence of death by covenant obedience on his wife's part. And as Hebrews said, there is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. By the shedding of blood, all pointing toward what Jesus Christ would do on the cross for us. Man, you guys have hung with me so well this morning. This is a long and complicated thing. But thank you. Because these truths are important. God is sovereign. and But God entered into a covenant with us and what He desires of us is covenant obedience. Now, the sign of 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 the covenant in the Old Testament was circumcision. It was a permanent disfigurement so that anybody at any point could find out whether or not you were gods or not, right? But praise God, praise God, Jesus has gone to the cross. He's offered His blood as an atonement for us, right? And now, in the New Testament, then the sign of the covenant is not circumcision any longer, People still are circumcised, but that's not necessarily a sign of the covenant. What is the sign of the covenant? You got it in your mind already? Many of you wrote it in your notes already, right? What is the sign of the covenant? It's not gender specific. It's baptism. It is baptism. It went by so fast when when Beth was reading it. But let me read it for you again. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ and having been buried with Him in baptism in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. And you who were dead in the trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive with Him. God made alive with Him. We know that baptism does not save us. You're saved by grace through faith in Christ. Amen? But baptism is the outward sign to the world that you are God's child. And and so it is the sign of covenant relationship. So three important questions. I'll, I'll get on my horse here. Three important questions. Are you in the covenant of God or not? Are you outside of it? If you are a Christian, what are those areas of your life where there's either disobedience or how's this for a 
for a politically correct term, delayed obedience, right? Are there areas in your life where you know you're still not living into the covenant that God has included with you? One of the saddest stories I see over and over again is that we want the power of God in our life, but we don't want to do what God asks of us to do. Oh, I would love to see my family, my neighbors, my co-workers come to Jesus Christ, right? To surrender Him and be transformed. I love that lingo. I love all those, those buzzwords, right? I want to bring light into the darkness, right? Well, Dave, you got to tell them about Jesus. Oh, I couldn't do that. I, I, that would be embarrassing. Are you, what, if they, what if they reject you? See, see, we are Moses. Do you see what's happening? We are Moses. What's happening? What's happening? Our past is defining our present. All those failures, all those times when, when we fell short is defining our obedience now. Don't let your past define your present. Don't pick up the fears that you entrusted to God a few moments ago. Leave them behind. Enter into this new day with God. You say, God, I don't want to look like a fool. I'm afraid. And God says, I know. I know. Trust me. Trust me. Put your trust in what God can do through you. The third question is the one we ask every week. If you believe this to be true, what would you need to do as a result? Right? And, and normally I just leave that with you, but I've noticed that not many people do that. And so today I just want to offer a couple of possibilities how you might answer that. If you believe this to be true, what would you need to do? You might need to embrace the call of God in your life. Right? You might need to lay aside your own personal interests and, and embrace God's call on your life. You might need to go in peace to the place of your greatest fear and failure. Right? Let me say that again. You might need to go in peace to the place of your greatest fear and failure. That's what was happening for Moses. But know as you do that it's not about you. It's about what God can do through you. You might need to return to your primary calling. And I'm going to run through these. And, and I am open. This is Dave. I am open to talking with you about how you would structure the hierarchy of your calling. But know this for certain, that above all else is your relationship with God. Is your relationship with God. In some way, Moses is, is serving an, as an example for Christians who are trying to follow Christ and do all these other things at the same time. Know this for certain. Our commitment to Christ comes first. Jesus put it in the, the strongest terms possible that He's got to come first. But then after that, Know that, that your spiritual relationship, and I stuck that word spiritual in there, your spiritual relationship with your spouse is going to be included because you became one. If you are married, you are one with your spouse. And the reason I stuck spiritual in there is because you, in many ways, you provide for them, you, you emotionally support them, 
But I'm, I'm putting that your spiritual relationship with your spouse has got to be there. It's got to be there. It's a part of your calling. Similar to your spiritual relationship with your children. Your relationship with your spiritual family. You say, well, shouldn't we prioritize other people before? No, other people are going to know whether Jesus exists based on our unity. Other people are going to know that Jesus is Lord based on our mutual discipleship and love for one another, right? So your relationship with your spiritual family. And then your relationship with non-believers, your work, your neighborhood, your city, and the uttermost parts of the world. When, when you respond to your calling, the uttermost parts of the world hear the message of Christ. But then see to it, too, that you do all the miracles that God has put in your power. Start with prayer. Start with the power of prayer. Overcome your fear by entrusting yourself to the sovereignty of God. Maybe you're, what am I going to do in response to saying, I'm going to entrust myself to the sovereignty of God. I'm going to put my weight down on the fact that my life is in His control. Others of you will say, I need to be faithful in keeping the covenant with God. After our last baptism, a family came up to me and said, you know, we haven't been faithful in doing that. And, and we want to make arrangements to be baptized. Be faithful in keeping your covenant with God. But far and away, worship team, come on up, would you, and help me out. Far and away, know that you're not alone. Moses took his family because he did not want to fulfill this alone. God already had a plan. Aaron met him at the mountain of God. I just saw it this morning for the first time. At the mountain of... Moses didn't even make the journey back to Egypt. Aaron met him at the mountain of God. God will never leave you alone. I will never leave you or forsake you, he says. And God will not send you alone. He will be with us. Wherever you go, He goes. That sounds like a movie. Wherever you go, He goes. He will be with us. But He also places us in covenant community with other people so that we would never walk alone. Pray with me, would you? Oh God, thank you for Moses. Other places he's called the most humble um, man apart from Jesus that ever walked the earth. God, I know that humility came at a price. He had to learn the hard way, God, about the sovereignty of God. He had to learn the hard way about the importance of covenant community. God, help us, would you, to embrace the call of God in our life? Help us, God, to put your word into practice and God, I know that it's not just about us. We'll flourish. We saw twice that, that joy will be the byproduct of our obedience. But God, especially today, I'm, I'm grateful that other people will come to know you, God, as a result of the faithful obedience of the women and men in this room right now. So God, meet us in this place. Even as we worship you, God, seal in our hearts these covenant truths. Lord, we'll give you the praise. We'll give you the glory. In Christ's name.
Amen.